Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is game-changing predictive machine learning presented by SAP. The best run SAP. You'll hear from innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo around how predictive capabilities are utilized and delivered to create real business impact. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Yes, indeed, here I am. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, you're in the right place because this is where the best run. We always say it, we always mean it, and we think it's true. So let's check in and see what the buzz on the street is today. I have a quote from a lady named Jen Underwood, and she's a senior director at Data Robot and the founder of Impact Analytics LLC. She enjoys, quote unquote, this is a little bit about her quote, she enjoys digging into oceans of data to solve complex problems with machine learning. Aha, so she's one of us. Here's the quote. Gartner estimates that augmented analytics will grow at twice the rate of those that are not and will deliver twice the business value. Analytics and BI leaders should begin planning pilot projects and adoption. How about that? So let's see what we're talking about today. Human bias exists in HR hiring, promotions, employing opportunities, and other business decisions. Can technology find and remove bias? Machine learning and predictive analytics can help HR scan for bias, predict and minimize employee churn, and identify optimal recruiting channels. But is there a dark side to the algorithms? The experts speak, and I have three people who are going to help us discuss this. And our topic is... Augmented Analytics, Automating Insights with ML and AI. So here are my three experts. Kyle Porter, we'll be introducing him in a moment. He is the CEO of BitQuill Technology, also joined by Greg Wright, W-R-I-G-H-T, CEO of Vantage Point. And rounding out the panel is the sponsor of this series. We're always happy to have him on the panel, John Skitka at Solution Marketing at SAP. Welcome, panelists. And let's get started. Kyle Porter at BitQuill Technology has sent us a wonderful quote. This is, Kyle, this is such a cool quote. I love looking it up. The quote is by a French actor, very popular guy, and here's his full name, Gérard Xavier Marcel Depardieu, known in English parlance as Gérard Depardieu. French actor, one of the most prolific character actors in film history. He has done more than 170 films since 1967. Oh, my goodness. He's famous for his performances in The Last Metro, for which he won the César Award for Best Actress, Actor in Police. He won the Volpe Cup for Best Actor, Jean de Florette in 1986, and, of course, Cyrano de Bergerac, 1990. And he won the Cannes Film Festival Award for Best Actor actor. There we go. So here's the quote. Listen up, everyone. Cooking is not difficult. Everyone has taste, even if they don't realize it. Even if you're not a great chef, there's nothing to stop you understanding the difference between what tastes good and what doesn't. Welcome, Kyle Porter. How are you? I'm fantastic. Thank you. Well, fantastic is good. That's a good start. So talk to me about the quote. Yeah, so, I mean, first off, I think my wife might disagree with uh, Gerard about cooking is not difficult <laughs> and she's eating the food that I've cooked for her. Um, <laughs> but, you know, this quote really uh, really spoke to me about ML. Um, everyone has taste even if they don't realize it. Um, I think presented with a picture, a graph of, of analytics, everyone can see whether or not it provides value to them. Um, but coming up with that graph is something different. You know, if you ask me to go cook noodles, 
that's, that's fine. I can go do that. If you ask mm-hmm. me to go do a roux, I'm not going to have a clue how to do that. But I'm sure there's chefs on the line who are like, of course, of course I know how to do that. Um, and the same, same way, you know, there's data scientists. They're like, well, of course I can do a statistical regression. Um, but I'm not going to be able to do that. It's going to take me forever. Um, so we can see what good food is and we can taste that in the same way that we can see what good analysis is on the data. And we can easily come up with questions that are much more complex than we can answer ourselves unless we have specialists or we have machine learning and AI algorithms which can do it for us. And that's why this this quote really did speak to me, um, the correlation between cooking and data analytics. I, I like it a lot. I was so intrigued coming from an actor. I thought that was really, really cool. But let me tell you something. Um, let me ask you a question. We've spoken on this series, and this is one of our new series here in 2018, Kyle, the series that John Skitka sponsors and, and I host and produce. And we've talked about the growth of something called the citizen data scientist, but we've never approached it. And John, I know John's going to have something to say about this. We never approached it from, do you know what good food is? You know what good cooking is? You know what tastes good? It's just, we don't have enough trained data scientists. So people are putting on that superwoman or superman cape at night and becoming data scientists. So do you think that this quote and, and your great reference to our topic today, augmenting analytics, do you think that this will encourage more people to say, yeah, I think I know what a good decision is. I think I know how to use analytics in predictive modes, and I can be a good data scientist. What's your thought about that? Is this encouraging more people to do that? Oh, I think definitely. Um, in the same way that, you know, you go to cooking school and you have someone assist you in putting together um, your food, you know, AI is in the perfect position to assist us with all of the analytics and take away some of the pain points that we don't really understand um, for new people coming into the analytics space. Thank you very much. John Skitka, I want to talk to you for a second. Greg, you're going to have to wait for me. I did the wrong intro to the topic today, and I'm going to fix that right now. John is probably sitting there saying, no, no, that's not what our topic is. John, you're going to have to forgive me. This was a long day. So let me just back up here for a second, gentlemen on my panel, and just let me give a a proper intro to this topic. I think we covered that one two weeks ago. So here is what we're talking about today. Analytics as we know it is changing. How? sort of what we were talking about already. Predictive machine learning smart capabilities are radically changing how we analyze, how we report, how we predict, how we visualize, and how we understand enterprise data. Embedding these insights into our daily tasks directly influences the way we work. And now we're back on topic. John, do you forgive me? I forgive you, Bonnie. (laughs) Thank you. I read it and I said to myself, no, 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 no. It was too late in the morning I did this. No, I'm sorry. So I knew. So we're, we're basically talking about the same thing. How is analytics helping us report and visualize and predict and understand better? So we're not specifically talking about bias in HR data. It's a much broader view. Thank you, John. I appreciate that. And Kyle did a wonderful job of explaining his quote. And I think I liked my comment about the citizen data scientist. Now that we're back on target, Greg Wright, you're up next. Greg is the CEO of Vantage Point. And Greg has sent us a wonderful quote from Winston Churchill. This is one we don't often see, by the way, Greg. Winston Churchill, Sir Winston Leonard Spencer hyphen Churchill, 1874 to 1965, British politician, army officer, writer, prime minister of the UK from 1940 to 45. And again, as if once wasn't enough, 1951 to 55. And let's leave it at that. Here's the quote. Truth is the most valuable thing in the world. 
so valuable that it has often been barricaded by a bodyguard of lies. Ooh, Greg Wright, that's such a heavy quote. How are you, Greg? Welcome mm-hmm. to Game Changers. Thanks, buddy. Glad to be here. Talk- Thank you. Talk to me about the quote. How does it relate to our real topic? So uh, what I love about this quote, and and like most universal truths, is that they are applicable not to just necessarily one topic, but multiple. And what I liked about this one was it's not just applicable to business, but to virtually every aspect I can think of in our lives, Uh, whether it be our general business health or our, our, our personal health, you know, financial status in the business or financial status at home. Um, but certainly, um, you know, truth is one thing that quite often we prefer not to hear because it can be uncomfortable. What I uh, love about this quote is that it is so valuable that, um, you know, unless we live by it, uh, we're really not going to get anywhere. And so um, relating this back to the business world is mm-hmm. quite often, uh, you know, we know what's really going on or we think we know what's going on, but we prefer not to know. And so we rather do the same things we've done all the time because it's comfortable or we have a bias in hearing the way we want to hear the answers. But with uh, machine learning and artificial intelligence, uh, really it's a machine telling us the information. It's pure data. It's fact. And just because we believe something doesn't mean it's true. Something is true because that's the fact. And that's what machines will give us. Very interesting. There's such a difference of opinion, Greg, about needing that human quality of empathy and that very often the interpretation from the, the machine learning and the artificial intelligence, it, it may be on point, but it may not be the human value of what we need to do with that data. Do you have any thoughts about that? Or we still need people, that's what I'm trying to say. What do you think? We absolutely still need people. Mm-hmm. Machines are great at going through large volumes of data are doing those boring, monotonous things that mm-hmm. humans after a while get distracted and make mistakes on. Machines don't do that. They can work 24-7, no complaints. People are really good at taking those facts and making them something that could be creative and know, learn how to apply them. So uh, there's, there is um, absolutely, in my mind at any rate, uh, no reason that people should be feeling intimidated by machine learning. It's, it's really a tool to help them to be successful, uh, but people are here to stay for sure. Thank you very much. I think everybody is very relieved to hear that, Greg, right? Everybody said, oh, thank goodness I can stay here. Okay, we appreciate that. In the age of the robots coming into the workforce and all of the implications of that, we want to know with all of this technology, people are behind it, but we still need people. And we're going to find out what John has to say. John Skitka, you're up next. John Solution Marketing at SAP. And John, John, I have something interesting to tell you. You sent me a quote from Donald Rumsfeld. And Donald Rumsfeld, I I call him a reasonably young guy, born in 1932. He's now a retired American political figure and businessman. He was the U.S. Secretary of Defense from 1975 to 77 under Gerald Ford. And again, as if he didn't have enough, from 2001 to 2006 under President George W. Bush. And I have to tell you, John, I was hosting a webinar this morning off air, but it was a recording Um, talking about uh, the time to rethink business processes and old applications that you just can't keep tweaking stuff. You've got to have a new business approach. We we talk about that on many of our shows. And, John, somebody brought up the Rumsfeld quote that you sent me. 
it was almost like they knew what was on my other computer screen and my notes for the show today. And I instantly moved over from my laptop to my Mac, and I looked up. I said, yeah, that's the one. I didn't tell him, but it was such a coincidence. Now I'm going to read the quote. It's very famous. It's a fabulous quote. Everybody listen up. It's too long to crochet on the side of a pillow. You need a big pillow, but listen up. This is important. There are known knowns. These are things we know that we know. There are known unknowns. That is to say, there are things that we know we don't know, but there are also unknown unknowns. There are things we don't know we don't know. John, how did in the world did you find this quote for the show today? Not because the person on my webinar this morning said it, because <laughs> you don't even know who he is, but how did you pick this quote? It's fabulous. Because it's very, very relevant. Um, it, it fits very well, especially when you're talking about augmented analytics, because a lot of the time we spend on what we do know. In other words, we have run reports for the last 20 years. They haven't changed because they're how we have always driven a business. We know what we know and we like to use it. It's comfortable. And then there's what we don't know, but we know what we don't know. In other words, we know that there are drivers. We understand the relationship that we're looking for and we look for it. Now, what happens a lot of times and this was an earlier quote that I sent you on a previous show, people mm -hmm. spend their time looking for the answers they already have. In other words, they already think they know the answer, and they're just looking to justify it. They're not open. But to me, the reason this is so important for augmented analytics is if I take a look at the traditional way of doing AI, and it was mentioned earlier, I mean, the grass we've used, we understand what good analysis looks like. But if I'm using traditional AI approach, something I did 10 years ago, 15 years ago, I have to have an understanding of the relationships and the data that I'm looking for. So kind of that known known. When I use machine learning and I have it go through the data, massive amounts of data that I probably couldn't try to consume myself, it will look for patterns in those data that I don't even know exist. Therefore, it could show me those unknown knowns, things I'd never thought of, the who, who, you, who, who would have said moments. In mm -hmm. other words, I'm old enough to remember Pet Rock. If I said <laughs> to you years ago, somebody was going to make a killing by selling you rocks, and I don't mean precious gemstones, I mean just average run-of-the-mill yep. rocks you pick off the side of the road, you'd have said, who'd have known? Okay? So, I mean, the, when I take a look at this, I mean, there's a, a physics professor, a friend of my daughter's at the local university, whose field of study didn't exist when he was doing his undergrad. He always laughs at that. I mean, who knew he'd be doing this? Because nobody even knew what existed when he was getting into physics. Um, and, I mean, there, there's, there's a study that came out recently where somebody was using this to look at healthcare, And obviously, the anticipated relationship is the sicker the customer, the sicker the client, the more expensive the care will be. And there was hmm. an anomaly when they actually let the machine learning comb through the data and look for correlations. And it's funny. If you were under 12 years old, you were more expensive. It had nothing to do with the amount of sickness. And when they dug into it and figured, okay, why is this an anomaly? Why, what's this unknown thing that we haven't found? Uh, it has to do with the fact that um, ambulances charge per occupant. Mm -hmm. And if you're 80 years old and going to the hospital, you're probably going on your own. If you're under 12, there's a parent or two going with you. So it, it, it's this ah. weird correlation that nobody would have thought of, but machine learning going through the data found a correlation you wouldn't understand. So it, it, it really helps us find those unknown knowns. 
And as was just mentioned, those become facts. What we do with those facts and how we use them are something different, but they exist nonetheless. John, is there an excitement in all of this? I, just you were talking and I was thinking, that's a wow. Normal human logic would say, yeah, older, more disease, bodies run down, they've been through so much. But wait a minute, you just gave us another another entry into facts that support a different approach, a different truth to that scenario. So is there this, do you think everybody sits around when they're using these augmented predictive analytics and they're saying, wow, that's really cool. I didn't know that. Now we can do something different to solve a different aspect of the problem. Is there that excitement? And do data scientists, we talked about citizen data scientists, do they have that excitement in doing this kind of thing? I think there's always that excitement. And I think what really changes, and you use the term data scientist instead of citizen data scientist, is that these tools are becoming more available to business users. Um, Dresner Consulting just released a study um, August 30th. Um, and it's, it's a study they do. It's, it's their user base and people who are supplied online surveys. And they found in their response that business expert, BI expert and business mm-hmm. analyst use augmented analytics, machine learning uh, in this context, more than data scientists do. Uh, because it really is a way of answering those business problems. So I think, yes, there is that excitement. I think the danger lies into the quote that Greg gave, which talks about the truth can be exposed. In other mm-hmm. words, the fact is there, but people don't want to believe it for a number of reasons and will barricade it with that bar- bodyguard of lies because it's not something they want to acknowledge or deal with. Very interesting. And I have one more question for you before we go around the table. Now, message to Aaron. My line is all clear now, so we don't need to, to uh, take a break right now. Uh, John, augmented analytics. Is this something if you were going to a software company and say, yes, we're ready for augmented analytics. That's the version we want. Is, is that a thing or is that something we're defining because of the capabilities? Hmm? I, I, I think it's a new term that has evolved because of the fact that we have taken that traditional BI approach and by infusing the machine learning capabilities, data discovery capabilities, that we've come up with something that isn't true traditional analytics and how do you differentiate it? Well, it's augmented or assisted analytics. Mm -hmm. Um, It's it's just, you know, uh, including modeling machine learning data data mining into uh, the ability to do it uh, with little or no supervision so we can get that results back. But I I think that it is a a widely used term, and I think it probably is one that, well, I would defer to the other guests, that people in the industry would would accept and understand. Let me go around the table. Let's find out. Kyle Porter at Bitquill Technology. Kyle, do you agree that it's it's an accepted industry term? Um, I think it is at least an understood term. Um, okay. It's not an accepted term. Um, I think if you go to five different people, they might tell you, you know, five slightly different definitions of what they think augmented analytics actually means. Um, so to that point, I think it is a bit of a term that we are defining. Um, hmm. But, you know, I think the common threads throughout all of that would be that we are adding, you know, AI, natural language processing, um, the good example being, I don't want to have to know SQL anymore. I just want to write, give me profit quarter over quarter. Um, you know, that's a form of augmented analytics. Um, so, so yes, I think it's a, it's a little bit of we are defining this as we go along, but people understand it in the industry. 
Thank you. Greg Wright, we got to get your POV on this, your point of view. What do you think? Which which side do you agree on? Is it established? Is it understood? Is it being defined? Is it a WIP work in progress? What do you see? I, I, I think they both are correct. And what I mean by that is that it is a reasonably well understood term. I think it's a quite commonly used term, but it is still being defined. And frankly, artificial intelligence, I think, is still being defined. Machine learning really is still being defined. We know what we think we know about it, um, mm-hmm. but um, I think as we discover more about these things, we add more meaning to them. So, and I think that's the nature of the beast. I think this is what's going to happen, you know, going forward with all kinds of technologies um, on, 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 on how we can leverage them better to affect our lives. And uh, we try and apply some meaning to those terms on how they affect our lives. Thank you very much. That was an interesting sidebar. We like that on Game Chase. John, did I hear you want to say something? No. Nope. John? Sorry. No. Okay, that's fine. So you know what? We're going to go around and get a little bit more information about our three panelists. Obviously, you're all very smart and tuned into the industry and to technology right now. So let's go back to Kyle Porter, Kyle at, of CEO at BitQuill Technology. That's bit, B-I-T, Quill, Q-U-I-L-L, two words. And Kyle, I have three questions for you. Number one, where in the world are you today? City, state, country. We don't need the street or the office number. Number two, what's your favorite drink that keeps you smart and sharp and makes you smile. I'm looking at your picture right now. Wonderful smile. And number three, tell us about your role at BitQuill. Kyle? Sure. Um, so currently, I'm actually in Boston. Um, so I'm actually traveling my normal home is Vancouver up in Canada. Um, and I'm actually happy to be away because it is gray and miserable and rainy right now. Um, <laughs> and it's sunny out here. So. Um, my favorite drink is actually, um, it's kind of boring, it's coffee but I actually don't like coffee. Um, <laughs> there's, a, there's a coffee chain in Vancouver called Blends, and they have a mocha, and I, I love chocolate. And so they serve a mocha, which is Belgian dark chocolate that is blended with espresso. So really, mm. I'm drinking chocolate with a little bit of espresso in it. Um, <sighs> and that's really my favorite drink. That's what I actually am quite addicted to, so much so that the baristas of the local coffee chain know me <laughs> by name now. And when I walk in, they just start making it. I um, love it. I'm, I'm addicted to chocolate similarly, and I prefer my coffee very dark, very mocha-like. And my favorite Starbucks is a, uh, a tall mocha decaf, um, tall mocha decaf um, with light whip. I, that means put a little bit of whipped cream on top, and I'm going to cheat with the whipped cream. So that's what I love. Mocha is my favorite, too. That sounds amazing. Go ahead and tell me what you do. What is Bitquill? What does the company do? Yeah, so Bitcoin is a professional services company. We specialize on back-end technology, so that happens to be you know, cloud infrastructure, distributed systems. Um, we have a specialty in database analytic or database connectivity, sorry, um, and have been around for, for a number of years. Um, Bitcoin itself is, is a newer company, but um, the management has been together for, for over a decade now. Um, but day-to-day, um, you know, everyone in Bitcoin is a developer, top to bottom, myself included. Um, so I, I happen to participate in a lot of technical discussions, um, as well as the normal sales and, and strategy things that you might normally expect. Thank you very much. I have to tell you, hearing you talk about your drink reminded me of a place in Asheville, North Carolina. I'm in Durham, but my daughter used to live in Asheville, and I visited her there. And there's a place called the French Broad, named after River French Broad Chocolate Lounge. Well, they also call it the Chocolate Factory and Tasting Room, and they have a phenomenal display of 
chocolate things in you wait out the door on a Saturday night to get in out the door down the block and they have musicians and you go to your table and they bring you they give you a little a little card to put on the table with the name of something that has nothing to do with chocolate not a number and the waitress or waiter will come around with your beverage or your dessert and find you and there are two levels but what I wanted to tell you was they actually melt chocolate truffles you pick the truffle and they melt it and put it in a cup a little demi-tasse cup and you either drink it or you eat it with a spoon it is a pure melted truffle have you ever had that kyle i have not that sounds amazing but that did remind me that um it was a number of years ago but starbucks did something very similar um and they had uh drinking chocolate um, That's what this is. And I'm is. pretty sure they discontinued it because it was going to give everyone you had it a heart attack. Uh, <laughs> it was so rich. <laughs> this was drinking but, chocolate. Uh, That's yeah. exactly what it was. Absolutely. I'm looking at the menu here. I'm getting getting off uh, topic here, but it was a wow. So you brought back some really good memories. So before we get into more trouble here in chocolate heaven, I'm going to move on to Greg Wright, CEO of Vantage Point. Greg, where are you in the world today, please? What's your favorite drink, and what is Vantage Point, and what do you do there? All right. Thanks, Bonnie. So I am currently at a client site in uh, Dallas, Texas. And um, I'm happy to be on the show, so uh, thank you for the break. Mm-hmm. Um, I am, my favorite drink is actually called Golden Milk. Ooh. And it's a blend of uh, cardamom and turmeric and ginger yes. with yes. ground pepper. Mm-hmm. And you mix that with a bit of cinnamon and then uh, in, in almond milk. And uh, it's called Golden because of the color, and it's just it's really warm and comforting. And it's um, lovely. I like mm-hmm. to have that before I go to bed at night. Yeah, and they also call it soothing bedtime golden milk. I'm looking at a recipe here on wellplated.com, and they call it soothing bedtime golden milk. Exactly right, and there are many benefits to adding turmeric, which is the gold, to milk. So thank you. It's also an anti-inflammatory, and we're talking about health benefits. So that makes you happy. That sounds good, ending the day with something soothing. Tell me about Vantage Point. So, uh, yeah, Vantage Point is also a services company. Um, we do services and sell software, um, specifically in what we call the performance management space, which has got to do with planning and reporting, consolidation, and business intelligence, which is including now the artificial intelligence, machine learning, and so on. Um, and I started the company because I have a passion for helping people succeed. And I believe that the best way to make it happen is to leverage technology. So we are... Um, In our company, we are actually business people. We are not technologists, but we all love technology, and we all have the same passion about making a difference. And so we're about uh, working with our customers to think through their process and then to leverage technology to um, help them to work smarter, not harder, and to be successful both for themselves and for the company. Thank you very much. Pleasure to get to know you. We've got two really interesting drinks here, John Skitka. That's no competition for you. So, John, where are you today? What do you love to drink? And tell me what you're doing these days in solution marketing at SAP, please. I'm up in Waterloo, Ontario, Canada. Uh, Although for the last week and a half, you'd think I was in Vancouver because it's been nothing but overcast and wet and rainy and constantly damp. Um, uh, Driving machine learning... um, and uh, predictive uh, capabilities, particularly in business analytics is what I'm focused on at, at SAP in, in solution marketing, trying to help businesses uh, become intelligent enterprises and, and utilize 
um, what can be uh, levered through the, the data discovery and, and the bringing of machine learning to the analytics world. And, you know, Bonnie, uh, everybody else is teetotaler today. I'm, I'm going to throw you my alcoholic drink. <laughs> when I go home, I'm going to enjoy a, a rusty nail, which is a cocktail I've enjoyed probably for over 30 years now. Tell me about it. What's your recipe? I'm looking it up. You know that. What's my recipe? Yes. I thought I was giving you a chance to tell you what it was. So basically, um, it's a mix of, uh, you know, I love scotch. So it's a mix of Drambuie, which is a scotch-based liqueur, a honey-based, mm-hmm. and uh, a scotch. Uh, in my case, preferably either, well, preferably Johnny Walker Black or, or Johnny Walker Red. Well, I have to tell you, the Rusty Nail, of course, made by mixing Drambuie and Scotch whiskey, it was included in Difford's Guide Top 100 Cocktails there, John. You're in very good company. It can be served in an old-fashioned glass on the rocks, neat or up in a stemmed glass, most commonly served over ice. And do you know what it's called when it's without ice, John? Do you know what the alternate name is? No. It's called a straight-up nail. How about that? Ah, Interesting. If you want to make it the rusty bob, you substitute bourbon for blended scotch. If you want the rusty ale, you take a shot of Drambuie and add it to a beer without ice. If you want a smoky nail, you use Islay whiskey in, in place of the blended scotch. If you want a clavo ahumado, which is Spanish for smoky nail, use mezcal instead of M-E-Z-C-A-L. I have to spell that instead of blended scotch. And the railroad spike is four parts cold-brewed coffee to one part Drambuie in a tall glass over ice. You like that? Oh, I like that. i got to try the rusty ale. I've never thought of that. And if you have a favorite actor like Donald Sutherland, you can substitute Canadian rye for blended scotch, and you've got a Donald Sutherland. So there. How about that? Now, gentlemen, Don, uh, whatchamacallit, John knows me very well, and, and Greg and Kyle are just getting to know me. Lucky you. But they don't let me anywhere near caffeine on radio show days and this is my fourth gig since eight o'clock this morning hosting so i'm definitely staying away from coffee today i'm in durham north carolina it's a beautiful sunny day the sky could not be clearer or more blue we have a temperature range that goes from 38 degrees at night up to sometimes close to 70 during the day i guess this is fall in the south and all i'm allowed to drink is cool clear water now that i have my new refrigerator with finally water and ice on the door i can have my ice water for radio shows anytime i want it without a brita filter so bye bye filter and hello water in the door i appreciate that and i'm just going to say let's look at the clock here we're going to skip the break because we've already taken a lot of time and i want to make sure we have plenty of opportunity to get into our conversation on the roundtable. So, Kyle Porter, I'm going to just dive right in with you. I'm looking here at your notes, and I'm going to pick one of your topics that you told me before, and let's see... Let's see if you like where I want to go. Uh, I'll, I'll read it, and if you think you want me to go somewhere else, I'm going to give you the pleasure of telling me. So I'm looking here, and you say, ML, machine learning, and AI are not a silver bullet. They are enablers that expand the available information to more people with the side benefit, the data scientists will be able to spend time on more interesting questions. You want to talk about that or you want to go somewhere else, Kyle? I'll give you the option. Um, uh, let's talk about that one. That, that actually okay. works really well. Um, Good. And go I ahead. Think that, that, ties, that ties back to a little bit, um, I believe it was uh, John saying that um, AI is really something that's going to assist people. We don't need to worry about this putting us out of work or anything like that. But at the same time, and ML and AI, you know, they don't answer everything. Um, they're very good at answering narrow questions. Um, there's this concept of, um, 
I think, weak and strong AI. And strong AI is typically what I think most people would think of when they, they watch movies. Um, it's mm-hmm. AI that can answer any question, do any task, learn as they go forward. That doesn't really exist yet, um, at least not in the way we might think of it. Instead, what we have is, is weak AI, um, mm. where it'll, it'll go through and be trained on financial reports um, so that it can pick out things like fraud. Um, it can easily answer, you know, what's my profit? quarter over quarter in North America, and, and what are the reasons for that? Um, that's more of the specific type of questions um, that this can answer. But further, you know, no one likes to go through spreadsheets um, and try to pick out patterns in spreadsheets. We're, we're just not very good at it. Um, mm-hmm. When people are presented with you know, page after page after page of numbers, a lot of us tend to glaze over. Um, but that's specifically where you know, ML would you know, be very good at. Um, and that really frees us up to think about the more interesting questions. Um, and, you know, there was, the, I believe you mentioned empathy. And there's mm-hmm. also the intuition. Um, I think a lot of times when people are going through analysis, they use their intuition to look in specific areas um, and to jump to conclusions that are then validated. And NL and AI just make that a lot easier to do. Um, they, people can think about a problem come up with a hypothesis and have it much more easily, much more quickly answered um, by the technologies that are coming out these days. Essentially, ML lets us be lazier and do what we do a lot better. Um, but we just need to be aware that it's not a solution for every task. Um, and if we, there's a saying, um, if all you have is a hammer, then everything looks like a nail. Um, so yes. we need to avoid treating um, ML like it's our hammer. Thank you. Very well put. I like the way you brought that uh, that very common metaphor in there. Greg Wright, Vantage Point, please join us. What are your thoughts on what Kyle just shared with us? Agree or disagree? Uh, I totally agree. And I think uh, we had mentioned earlier that it's still evolving. So um, there are two or there are a number of factors actually that really make a difference on how we um, what we gain, what we learn from the machine learning. Um, so uh, exactly everything Carl said, I 100% agree with, but maybe just to add to some thoughts there is, mm-hmm. um, first of all, you know, right now we may have a range of hammers. Um, and what I mean by that is that the machine learning algorithms are algorithms. They're looking for trends. They're looking for, um, you know, relationships. But as we learn more about the science, so we're going to evolve and expand those algorithms. In other words, we're going to make them smarter. And I think, um, so that's the first thing is, is, is you know, just because we've got an algorithm doesn't mean it's the right algorithm, mm-hmm. and it doesn't mean it's really applicable. The other part that plays a huge um, impact on this, too, is the data. And um, that's what we've always um, had a big problem with in the past, is that um, not all data is appropriate for machine learning, and, you know, Carl mentioned that. Uh, the other part of it is not all the data is clean or appropriate for the algorithm or the relationships we're looking for. And so, again, as we learn more about the data and how we can, um, you know, interact with it or how the algorithm can interact with it and then um, learn, those, uh, learn the, uh, the, 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 the trends and relationships, so we'll find that uh, we'll, we'll get not just a range of hammers, but we'll probably get, you know, the chisels and uh, screwdrivers and so on as well. Thank you. John Skitka, join us. Agree or disagree with either one? No, I, I, I think it's true. I, I don't think it is a silver bullet because it won't do everything. Uh, it still is very much an informative stage. And I, and I think 
that there's an issue because, as was mentioned, they're algorithms. And those algorithms are something that were programmed by people. Therefore, the bias in terms of how and what you're looking for when you build a model can, can become part of this as well. Um, the data truly is the biggest issue. The right data to get the answer uh, is probably the biggest challenge I think we have to this at this point in time. Um, but it's kind of neat because I also, you talked about with data scientists being able to spend time on, and we've talked about that earlier with, you know, people won't be replaced. It's, it's not just the empathy and intuition that humans bring, but it's also the fact that I look at, and as hopefully it evolves, machine learning, augmented analytics become labor-saving devices, i.e., they do a lot of the work for us, allowing us to spend our time doing things that are of more value instead of having to deal with the more mundane tasks. So I, I, I think that it will help free us. Not only will it give us better insights, but I think it will free us up to do a lot more creative things with the insights we get. Thank you very much. I'm going to move on here. Greg Wright, I'm looking at your notes, and I have something interesting here. I'll read it. You say AI and ML are changing how business takes place between vendor and customer. Why don't you tell us more? Yeah, for sure. Um, what we've seen um, over time um, is that as artificial intelligence is getting uh, more, I'm going to call it friendly and more interactive, we've also seen that we can leverage machine learning better. And it's really been incorporated into our everyday lives. And so some examples about that is, you know, if you've got a smartphone, you probably talk to Siri or you talk to Alexa or you talk to uh, some name now. It's, we give our, our phones names that talk with us in, in, in the, the artificial intelligence to help us, uh, you know, get the answers. And so that's what Carl mentioned earlier. We don't want to, you know, type in a series of, of, of commands. We literally just want to talk to the machine and have come back with the answer. Uh, the other part we can see where this has, of course, changed a lot is Amazon. They've been doing machine learning um, for ages, which is one of the reasons they've been so successful in that, you know, when you go to Amazon, you go and buy a product, they always suggest something to go with it based on what other people who bought similar products of your profile have bought. And so they are very proactive mm -hmm. about how to use this artificial intelligence and machine learning to, uh, to help boost their sales. And so basically the way that we're interacting with the with the, uh, the you know with the businesses or the vendors we deal with, so you know Amazon was one there, but you know our banks the same thing. I know Bank of America has just come out with Erica, the British government for healthcare, you know retail. They're all using these technologies to interact in a more intimate way with us. Uh, mm -hmm. You've probably heard of the example of uh, there's some stores certainly in England I know about where they have cameras set up when you walk in their store. It reads your face. It tries to find you on social media and suggests things oh, um, no. as you walk around no. the shops. <laughs> no, please, no. <laughs> is that good or is Far that more. scary? Greg, do you like that? <clears throat> well, so this is a big debate going on, right? It's there's good and there's bad. And uh, maybe this gets back to the whole truth uh, notion on, on how to do this. I know... Um, um, you know, there's a big debate going on about how to manage and, and, and monitor this to make sure that it is being used appropriately and not used for, for devious methods, which I'm sure there are going to be, you know, instances of those, but it does have to be, you know, carefully managed. Elon Musk, Greg, in fact, has got a, he's, he's spoken out very much about this. 
from Tesla. I have to tell you, he, this reminds me. This reminds mm. me of of the. It's a, a plot. John, you probably remember many movies and TV shows where a man walks into a restaurant or bar with a woman, and the bartender or the waiter says, "Nice to see you again, Mr. Jones. Will you have your regular?" And the woman with Mr. Jones thought he was taking her there for the first time and he was new and then the question is with whom were you here that's like the precursor to knowledge about somebody on social media john do you remember those kind of plot lines oh gosh yes i do i do <laughs> but 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 it's funny bunny because it goes back to a comment that was made earlier where you know say and i walk in and the barista knows me by name and starts yes. making my drink that's right out. is that a negative or a positive customer experience? that's right so again it, it becomes like, I mean, am I getting a benefit out of this by them reading my face and knowing who I am? and Or is it something where it's an invasion of my privacy? But we've always tried to get that personalized experience as a customer. I don't just mean as a vendor to a customer, but as a customer, you tend to appreciate it. A lot of times people have a favorite restaurant, bar, whatever, and it's because yep. of that connection, that personal experience. Mm-hmm. So is is it a good thing or a bad thing? I don't know. Again, it comes down to, you know, almost a matter of personal choice. It really does. Personal choice and and that balance, John, that fine balance we talk about so often of privacy. Is there such a thing anymore? Have we let the genie out? Have we let the horse out of the barn or the genie out of the bottle or whatever, whatever metaphor you want? Have we given away so much information that it's going to come back and smack us in the face? And some people will say, wow, they know me. And other people say, oh, I have to run and hide. I can't shop here anymore because they know me. It's, it's in a way we talk about technology depersonalizing our lives. But in a sense, what we're talking about right here, it's making them more personalized but maybe breaking that privacy wall. Do you think? I think, I think, and I, so. I, I think that's Sorry, why ethics and machine learning is, is a very, very hot, a hot topic, topic right now. Because very there much. is that concern, as was mentioned earlier, how do you shepherd this properly? How do you ensure it's being used in an appropriate manner? Yeah. And I think we want to get Kyle Porter on on this conversation. I think I heard you, Kyle, at BitQuill Technology. Join us. What do you think? A lot here we're discussing, a lot of ethics issues, as John just brought up. What's your point of view? Yeah, it's funny because I was just actually writing a few notes as Greg and John were speaking, and I actually um, picked up on the privacy thing um, just before you guys brought it up, actually. And it kind of reminded me of, uh, I think it was earlier this year, um, there were stories made the rounds on social media and and all the trendy things about how much data both Google and Facebook were collecting on you and mm-hmm. how you could go view it. Um, yep. And sure enough, you can go online and look at you know, Google Maps and see that it had actually mapped out every single place that you had been with your phone over the past, you know, however long since you started using your phone. Uh-huh. And I think a lot of people were kind of shocked at how much data they were giving away without realizing it. Um, and if you go back to, to thinking about, you know, I have a favorite bar, I have a favorite coffee shop, those are, those are choices that we make in that, you know, I, I go back to that um, coffee store repeatedly, um, and over time they get to know me. Um, whereas in the case of, like, facial recognition, um, it's not really a choice that we have. Um, people are picking up that information and, and networking yeah. it in a way that isn't even comparable to, to what, like, a local barista would do. Um, they're mapping it across, you know, every single coffee store that I've ever been to. Um, to know what I like and tailor things to what I like. Um, and so I think that the question of, you know, 
there's personal experiences versus how much privacy do we value. Um, yeah. And I think even if you look at um, generations of people, right? I think um, the younger, the youngest generation is actually probably more privacy conscious than something like the millennials um, who have kind of grown up expecting that you know, there's no privacy. And then you're the older generation who grew up and, you know, we still had, you know, we didn't have smartphones. Internet didn't really exist at some point in time, right? And, and all of a sudden, you're used to having anonymity, and now, now there's none, really, um, whether or not you choose to opt in or not. Um, there is a profile of you that someone has created somewhere. Um, so I think, you know, for businesses, this is a great opportunity. Um, you can profile people. You can see trends. You can adjust in real time. Um, for consumers, I think the question is still a lot in the air. Thank you. Very, very well, I interesting. I think a big part of this. Yeah, go ahead. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Bonnie. A big part of this, though, is, you know, I don't know if you used to watch Cheers on TV, but mm-hmm, hey, it's where sure. everyone knows your name. And, mm-hmm. and certainly, um, I think that's what we want. We want to belong somewhere. So you go to your favorite coffee shop and you know you have people like you and you like going there because they recognize you. Um, yes. I think the, the idea over here about how, we, how AI has changed the interaction of the customer and the vendor is that the vendor can actually respond in a more personalized manner to you. And by that, I mean uh, not so much stores where you walk into for facial recognition. But let's face it, when you call up you know, a company because you've got a, a problem and you, you have to wait online for someone to answer the phone and you give your, your you know, details, and they pass you on to some other department and you've got to get the same details again. And th- you know, that happens three or four times. Yes. We tend to not actually fix the problem because it's not personalized. In fact, it's very impersonal. We would rather talk to the person in the machine. And even when we talk to the person, when they pass us over, the information is not, you know, forwarded on. And um, what AI is giving is that ability now for businesses to interact with us very quickly on a personalized level that we have a good experience. And I think that's the main takeaway for this. Of course, we need to be careful about privacy. And of course, we need to be careful about who gets access to the data, as we've seen on the news for a while. But... Um, it is changing the way that we interact with businesses and, you know, even banking. You can literally deposit checks on your phone now yes. and you can see it come up right away. And that's, yep. it's, it's, it's in your comfort of your own home. And that is one of those good examples of uh, the convenience and the personalization that they can give you. Isn't that funny? That's, it's almost a, <clears throat> Greg, almost a double-edged sword because a lot of people liked going to the bank and being recognized by the teller. Hello, Mr. Smith. How are you today? How's your wife? Is the puppy feeling better? Oh, we'll be glad to take your checks versus sitting there and doing it on your phone. So the convenience, and I have an app on my phone that will let me do my banking and it's personalized to me, substitutes for that human inter... I'm just throwing that out as a sidebar. I think everything has a a plus and a minus, a give and a take. On that note, we're almost ready for our predictions round, but John Skitka, there's something here in your notes. I'd really like you to explain just briefly, if you can, in 90 seconds. Sorry to limit it, but just talk a little bit about NLP, natural language processing, and you say no one should have to code to answer analytics questions. Using analytics to solve business problems should be as easy as Googling any other questions. How easy is it today under augmented analytics, John? It's not easy. It's still growing. I mean, okay. this was something that was brought up by, you know, earlier in our discussion. But when mm-hmm. you take a look at um, even talking to Alexa, Cortana, 
Siri, yes. however you want to phrase it. How often do they get it right, and how often do I really laugh because they've gotten it totally wrong? Um, but I don't think we want to go through where, what tables the data in, all my drop downs, select this, do that. I don't want to have to be able to be an expert on the tool. I don't want to have to be a code junkie. I want to yeah. just be able to say, what is, t- tell me what the most important uh, correlation between sales and number of customer meetings is and have the system actually just do that for me. I, I think we're still a vast distance away from that, but I know that we're working really hard and making strides at getting there very quickly. Thank you. That's what I was looking for. <clears throat> I just recently, uh, a little while ago at lunch, I, I had a friend over and he said, do you know how to test whether an egg is fresh? I wanted to make an omelet and I had bought fresh eggs. And he said, do you know how? He said, just for kicks, ask Alexa. Alexa had no clue. She couldn't answer it. The answer is if you take a pot of water and you put an egg in the shell, un- uncooked egg, it will sink to the bottom of the pan evenly, not one end pointing up if it's fresh. When it gets old, air and chemicals and, and gases come into the shell and the egg will either float on top or it will be pointing up. I didn't know that, but I was sure Alexa could help me with that, John, and I rephrased the question three times. She had no idea, so I didn't didn't communicate with her. But now that brings us to our prediction, not on whether the eggs are fresh, but what's happening with augmented analytics. Let's go to Kyle Porter. I've got 60 seconds with your name on them, Kyle. Kyle at BigQuell Technology, what do you see coming down the road, up the pike, whatever direction you're going, in terms of the future of augmented analytics? And let's look at between now and 2025. So how far out would you like to go? 60 seconds, Kyle. Sure. Um, I think there's a lot of expectations around what this is going to bring, um, but I think the reality is that we are probably going to have something um, that's like the modern-day Clippy. So if you remember Clippy with the little uh, paper mm-hmm. clip that was in the office that um, yep. like, oh, it looks like you want to do this, right? I think that AI and augmented analytics is going to be more like that, where it will be assistive, assistive rather than transformative. Um, so, you know, Oh, you're doing financial analysis. Maybe I can help you with that. Oh, you're doing image recognition. Maybe I can tell you what's in this. Um, and I really think that's going to be um, the near-term future um, for what this is going to bring. And don't get me wrong, that's still going to bring us a lot of benefit. Um, you know, doing your reports might go from two days to 30 minutes. Um, so there's going to be a lot of labor saving and a lot more ability to spend time on what we actually want to spend the time on. Thank you very much. Greg Wright, I have 60 seconds for you. Go ahead. So artificial intelligence is here to stay whether we like it or not. Our lives are, I believe, going to change quite significantly for it. Um, So linked to that, I need to say that I do believe that there will need to be a formal controls, checks and balances put in place. But the kind of work we do and how we interact uh, not only just with each other, but in getting things done, I think is going to change significantly, where um, we're going to see more robots being used for the automotive, repetitive, boring work, which people don't want to do anyway. We're not good at that. And I think people are going to move more to the creative, thoughtful, value-add work, which is really what we are good at. Thank you very much. John Skitka, I saved 60 seconds for you. That's it. Go ahead. Predict, please. So I, I think it will be uh, an assistive world. I, I think those assistants will get better. I think that the natural language processing will be there. 
uh, that we'll just be able to speak to them. They will understand us. But beyond that, I think they're going to get to know us, um, whether it's from a help perspective or whether it is from a guidance perspective. So if I, I, I think that the, the use of, and when I say robots, I don't mean I saw, I'll say bots, uh, i.e. Mm-hmm. software infused, as opposed to the physical uh, robot, uh, are, are going to be a far larger role. When I call support, it will have an idea of what I do, how I've interacted with the system, and may well suggest a bunch of answers, and I won't even know that I'm talking to the bot versus talking to a human. Um, I think that as I do my analytics, that the system will get to know what I'm doing, what my preferences are, what my patterns are, what my habits are, and will suggest to me ways of doing things or answers before I even ask the questions. I really think that we're going to get to that, you know, it really be a labor-saving device, but it will be a, a guide to help me, to suggest to me. Uh, and I, I may well come into work and not think about something. I'll be responding to, you should be doing the following prescriptive things. Uh, and I'll be saying yes or no to those based on information as opposed to getting information and coming up with those actions myself. Thank you, John. We're out of time. I want to thank my engineer extraordinaire, Aaron, at World Talk Radio. We've been very busy today. Had two live shows. I appreciate that, Aaron. He's at the Business Channel. And I want to thank my three panelists. And I'm going to mention your names in a second, but let's do the call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today, just like Kyle Porter at Bitquill Technology, just like Greg Wright at Vantage Point, and of course, just like John Skitka at SAP. Bonnie D. Graham signing off. I'll be back tomorrow morning, 10 a.m. Eastern, with another live edition of Business Model Disruption with Game Changers. Don't miss it. See you then. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Game-Changing Predictive Machine Learning, presented by SAP. The best run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Wednesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.